Hey, Crossings podcast community. This teaching is called Deep Joy and is the third teaching in our reordered Advent series. It was taught by Mark Nelson on December 13th, 2020. Thanks for listening. Hey, Crossings. Thanks for joining us here on the YouTube gathering. Um, one thing to note as we get going is we are recording in, in our office here at Four Market Square. And what is happening two floors below us in the square room is some type of revival. So at some point, <laughs> as I am talking, you may hear someone else yelling and screaming and preaching. And so um, uh, you just choose which one you want to listen to. If you can discern them both, you know, that's up to you. But just wanted to give you that uh, heads up because I think you're going to hear music and preaching uh, underlined through this whole time. So, but thanks for being with us. Thanks for gathering. Uh, this season of Christmas is a season uh, that we celebrate family gatherings, we celebrate family, and we usually think about it being full of surprises. And surprises include gifts, meaning you didn't think anybody knew that you wanted this, but somehow they found out and you go unwrap something and you're just surprised that, that it's the thing you wanted all along. And and it's a great surprise. Uh, you also have surprises of people showing up that you didn't expect. Uh, the long lost son or daughter showing up at the door on Christmas Eve, which is every Dolly Parton Christmas special, I think, for sure. Uh, we've all cried when we've seen videos of uh, military uh, people coming home for the holidays and showing up at their kid's school or showing up at the front door. And, and we weep because the, the surprise is so sentimental, it's, it's sweet. We've also probably all learned that spoiling surprises around this time of the year is not a good thing. I'm, I'm really confident that my mom has still never forgiven me for uh, discovering my Christmas present, which was a, this really cool table hockey game when I was 10 years old. I don't think she's gotten over that. But to be fair, uh, she could have worked harder to hide it. I mean, it, uh, it's not all on me, right? She made, it, she made the search way too easy. Uh, some people love surprises. Um, some of you probably do, and some people don't. Some people are like, ah, no, I kind of want to know what's going to happen uh, regardless. I, I kind of like surprises. I, not just necessarily with gifts. Gifts are cool and all that. But I like being surprised by something I learn or by someone I meet. Like just when you think you get people figured out and then you're surprised by something they do. I love those kind of surprises. I, I like the surprise of a new experience. I go do something, I visit someplace, I, I go, I don't know, and, and something unexpected takes, takes me totally by surprise, like it, it catches me and I'm like, oh, this is, and it just takes my breath away for a second or two. I like those kinds of surprises. Krista Tippett, who hosts the On Being podcast, uh, she has this quote that I absolutely love about uh, living in a way that's open to surprise, and, and here it is on the screen for you. We kind of get trained and educated to arm ourselves with who we are and with representing that. And there's a place for that. She says, but to walk through the world open to being surprised and open to being surprised by people who are very different from us opens all this possibility and is so much more pleasurable than walking through the world armed and ready to judge and thinking you know everything. That's a heavy burden to bear, knowing everything. C.S. Lewis, we talk about C.S. Lewis a fair amount, an Oxford scholar, he's an author, um, 
professor, wrote many, many famous books. In 1955, he wrote a memoir, and here's a picture of it. Uh, it's entitled, Surprised by Joy. And it describes his life from early childhood. He was born in 1898 until his conversion uh, to Christianity at age 33. And Lewis wrote this um, not necessarily as a historical document. Like, it's not a straight-up autobiography. It appears that the goal of Surprised by Joy was to identify and describe the events surrounding his really accidental discovery of and consequentially his search for this phenomenon he labeled joy. Um, by the way, he was married to a woman. Uh, when he was 57 years old, he got married to a woman named Joy, Joy Dav Davidson. Many people think this book is about her. It's, it's not. <laughs> this is about his life, uh, like I said, up until he became a Christian, which was 33 years old. So C.S. Lewis defined joy as an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. An unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. And in many ways, Lewis's quest for joy became a central theme in his writing. He was always looking for this, this he was on a quest for joy. And what he experienced as joy was something so intense, he wrote about, something so good, so high up, it could not be explained with words. He said, it was distinct from pleasure in general, it was more of a pang, P-A-N-G, an inconsolable longing. He experienced it, he said, and off, he experienced it off and on, he said, when he was younger. He knew it was something that he needed to search for. Anyone who's experienced this kind of joy will want it again, he said. But it wasn't until later in life that he really found what he would call this joy. For Lewis, he was surprised by joy when he made this leap from atheism, no belief in God, to theism, which is just a belief in God as a whole, to Christianity, which means following, trusting, believing in Jesus. And when he found that joy at that point, 33 years old, it was a joy so intense that it could, could not be explained in words, he said. So joy, this word joy, seems to get a lot of focus during this season holiday season, Christmas season, Advent season. In the Advent wreath that Rachel uh, shared earlier, the candle she lit, one of the four candles is the joy candle. The first week the hope candle was lit, second week it was faith candle, this third week is the joy candle. And this year, uh, in each week of Advent, what we're doing is we're asking questions around the phrase that we've used all year. So way back in January, we talked about cheap and dead and deep when it came to hope. And Brad talked about that in Advent the first week. Uh, Molly talked about it last week when it came to faith. Uh, we're asking what it is that we're pursuing is not a cheap and not a dead, but a deep hope. And not a cheap, not a dead, but a deep faith. Today, as we're in this focus on joy in the, in the Advent wreath, in the rhythms of Advent, the question I'm asking is, what's the difference between cheap joy and dead joy and deep joy? Well, here's my interpretation. Cheap joy is something determined by outward circumstances. Life is bad because this happened today and I have no joy. That's a little more like happiness than joy, honestly. 
this year very easily can simply be filled with cheap joy. <laughs> Life is not going like we wanted it to go. And so we've allowed ourselves to live up and down based upon how life has gone. And 2020 has really been a year of cheap joy. Cheap joy is based around momentary satisfaction. Cheap joy is based around outward circumstances and nothing more. Did I have a good day or did I have a bad day? Determines whether I have joy or not. That's cheap joy. Dead joy is when we realize that even the outward circumstances don't suffice. Even when life goes okay, you come to this point of, of just giving up and your joy is dead. And it usually means you can't be surprised anymore. You simply don't believe you can ever find joy because the circumstances have been simply too much for far too long. I think that's dead joy. But deep joy, deep joy is not dependent upon whether you got that parking place. It's not dependent upon whether your favorite drink was in stock when you went to the store. It's not dependent on whether you won $10 in a lottery ticket or whether you got that raise or, or whatever it is you're looking for. It's not dependent upon that. It's not dependent upon your circumstances. Deep joy is dependent upon something deeper, something you know to be true, regardless of how bad things are around you. That's deep joy. I read these words earlier this week. What kind of joy is this? What is this feeling that overcomes and dares to wink at adversity? What is this song that still sings even in the dark? What is the source of this peace that defies pain? I call it sacred. I call it deep joy. It is sacred because it is not of the earth. It is sacred because it is God's. It is deep joy because it both satisfies longings and it surprises us. So this word Advent means coming or arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. The arrival of something that changes everything, that's Advent. At the advent of the TV, the world was a different place. At the advent of the automobile, the advent of the iPhone, at the coming of that thing, uh, everything changed. So then, when you think about this season, Advent season is designed as a long and slow announcement that alerts us that something new has come or is coming and that thing could change the way we live in the world. So in our searching for joy or faith or hope, in our searching and in our inconsolable longing, we want to celebrate Advent as a season of, of not cheap and not dead, but of deep joy. Here's a passage from Luke 2. It's the Christmas narrative that we call it. It's the birth of Jesus narrative that I want to read to you that we're going to put on the screen. Verse, six, uh, verse 8. Nearby in the fields, outside of Bethlehem, a group of shepherds were guarding their flocks from predators in the darkness of the night. Suddenly a messenger of the Lord stood in front of them, and the darkness was replaced by a glorious light, the shining light of God's glory. They were terrified. So please notice the birth announcement does not come in palace halls, but in the middle of nowhere, in a field somewhere. And it comes not to those of power, not to those of prestige, but to those who are poor and lonely, the shepherds who were quite surprised. Verse 10, the messenger said to these shepherds, don't be afraid. 
Listen, I bring good news, news of great joy, news that will affect all people everywhere. Today in the city of David, a liberator has been born for you. He is the promised anointed one, the supreme authority. So if you'll notice in that passage, Luke's Christology is made very clear. Jesus is of the house of David. He is the one who's come to save them, liberator. He is the promised Messiah, the anointed one, and he is overall. And Luke, as an author, makes sure that we know that this is good news of great joy for all the people everywhere. Deep joy has been hard to come by this year. Let's, let's be honest. Because the circumstances have been very hard. And for some, they've been harder than others. And I get that. And because of that, cheap and dead joy is much more the norm. But one of the byproducts of behavior that comes as a result of cheap and dead joy, when we can experience this deep joy, is this thing called cynicism. I think it'd be good for us to compare joy to cynicism, and specifically deep joy to cynicism. Because when I read that Luke narrative, I see that we are promised great joy. I'll interpret that as deep joy. So the great author Henri Nouwen, in the book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, writes about cynicism. And here's that quote, it's long. For me, it is amazing to experience daily the radical difference between cynicism and joy. Cynics seek darkness wherever they go. They point always to approaching dangers and pure motives and hidden schemes. They call trust naive. They call care romantic. They call forgiveness sentimental. They consider themselves realists who see reality for what it is truly and who are not deceived by escapist emotions. But in belittling God's joy, their darkness only calls forth more darkness. People who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness, but they choose not to live in it. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself and that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. Now and continues. They point each other to flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but real presence of God. They discover that there are people who heal each other's wounds forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they have received, and live in the constant anticipation of the fullness of God. Every moment, he says, of each day, I have the chance to choose between cynicism and joy. Every thought I have can be cynical or joyful. Every word I speak can be cynical or joyful. Every action can be cynical or joyful. Increasingly, I'm aware of all these possible choices, and increasingly, I discover that every choice for joy, in turn, reveals more joy and offers more reason to make life a true celebration. Many of you uh, know Thomas and Amanda Smith, who are a part of our community. Thomas used to be on staff, actually, with us. And uh, they wrote, they write songs, they record songs. One of the new songs they wrote this year is a song called Everything's Fine. And after I heard it, it's beautiful by the way, after I heard it, it seemed like this song was this quest for joy, for deep joy, and how very hard it is to find deep joy during these very hard times. 
we're gonna we're gonna play the song for you in just a second. Uh, we're gonna have Thomas and Amanda. We got them on video singing it. But before we do, I want to share with you some of Thomas's thoughts. And Thomas, if you know him, is not the biggest talker. <laughs> He's just not. And so I was lucky to get this out of him. But I I asked him about the song. I said, help me understand what was behind it. And I know artists hate talking about their art. And so he was very kind. And and I'm very grateful that he gave me some of these words. But what Thomas said was about the song, since the beginning of the shutdown earlier this year due to the virus, people have been expressing a desire for everything to get back to normal, he said. I think if we're honest with ourselves, what has become normalized in the modern Western church would absolutely appall us. The division, he says, the angst towards one another and the rush to dive into an argument rather than a conversation is eating us alive from the inside. We're lying to ourselves if we think that once there's a vaccine, things will go back to normal and everything will be fine. There's an astounding irony that we live in a time where we have access to more information than ever before in human history. And yet we often opt for theology that has been whittled down to 140 characters or less. God forbid, he says, we have questions about a theology that fits on a t-shirt. Instead, we say over and over, oh, no, 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 we've got this figured out. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Here's Thomas and Amanda uh, Smith with their song, Everything's Fine. Thank you. 
Versus 2000 forging your name down to something we took out of context and put on that t shirt to prove to ourselves that we knew what we were talking about. Cause God forbid we have questions and doubts when everything's fine. So ultimately, here's what I want you to grasp, that in Jesus, we have good news, news of great joy, of deep joy, and that in Jesus, regardless of our cynicism that says everything's fine, joy is beyond our circumstances. Real joy, sacred joy is beyond that. And that phrase, good news, uh, news of great joy, that phrase, it helps us to know that when it was first spoken in the, in the time of, of, of ancient faith, of the time just post-Jesus, hearers of that phrase, good news, good tidings, um, would have been thought of as a very thoroughly Roman term. Um, for example, at the inscription, uh, an inscription celebrating the birth of Caesar Augustus, 
reads, quote, the birthday of the God was for the world the beginning of joyful tidings. So when people hear this or read this from Luke, talking about good news of great joy, these original hearers would therefore immediately understood that the author was referring to good news that was a cause for celebration, good news that was a historical event, good news that would introduce a radically new situation into the world. That is what the advent of Jesus has done. That's what the advent of Jesus does. It provides us with that deep hope and that deep faith and that deep joy. And my hope would be that we understand the same thing they understood. N.T. Wright um, said this about this good news. It'll be on the screen for you. The good news comes knocking on doors that we didn't even know we had. It flings open the curtains on windows we didn't know existed to reveal the rising sun flooding the room with glory when we imagined that all light came from candles. It woos our cold hearts and awakens them, like someone falling in love for the first time, to a joy and fulfillment never before imagined. May we find ourselves surprised by this good news of great joy this Advent. Would you pray with me? <coughs> Father, it's, it's at the advent of Jesus that we find hope. It's at the advent of Jesus that we find faith. Father, we pray that <coughs> it won't be cheap, it won't be dead, but the joy will be deep. And that we'll realize that the advent of Jesus meant that everything was changed in a revolutionary way. May we find a way in a cynical world to find this deep joy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.